I, uh, I don't know, sometimes it's kind of nice. You get into a, a passage like Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 17 through 32, and you're like, oh, this is easy. <laughs> like it's, it's, it should be on. I'm just, I guess, quiet today. All right. Yeah, so it just, it's, it's like an easier one today. Um, and is, it's just kind of one of those ones that as I was prepping, it's like, man, this is, this is flowing pretty easy, and I was happy about that. It's been one of those where at the end of the semester for school, we're trying to wrap up a lot of things. We've got a lot of busyness with the holidays, and it was just nice to have Scripture that is directly applicable, and we can see that as we go into it today. So let's take some time uh, to dive into the Word. If you've got your Bible with you, go ahead and open up to Ephesians chapter 4 verses 17 through 32. If not, it'll be on the screen, and you'll be able to see it there. Let's go ahead and hear the word of the Lord. Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do, in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have been Given and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy, uh, to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ, assuming that you have heard about Him and were taught in Him as the truth is in Jesus. To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds. And to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in the true righteousness and in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry, but do not sin, and do not let the sun go down on your anger, and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such is, as is good for building up as it fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God and Christ forgave you. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you so much. Uh, thank you so much for your word and how, how applicable this is to our daily lives. I thank you for teaching us through it and letting us see what it means to live a, a new life in Jesus Christ. Father, I pray that as, as we go through this and we, we worship you through the hearing and to the responding of your word, that today you would, you would just move us closer to you, draw us in through your word. Father, I pray that you would put me aside and let this be holy of you. And I ask, Lord, that you would continue to bless us as we seek to honor and glorify you in this community and elsewhere. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So as we've been reading through Ephesians, and we've been looking at this letter that Paul has written, it's, it's sometimes interesting for us because we forget sometimes that when Paul was writing these letters, and he's writing to the churches, he's writing to people who were fellow Christ followers, right? He's, he's writing to churches, 
Not only are, are the Ephesians here Christ followers, but, but they're a congregation that Paul's familiar with. Now, some time has passed, and he maybe doesn't know everybody in the Ephesian congregation, but he does know that they are believers, and it's the gospel message they have believed in, and they're all united in Christ. Right? He helped plant this church. He knows some of these people, and he's reminding them about that gospel message. Right? Paul testifies here that, that the Gentile believers that are in Ephesus, they experience the same new life in Christ, as the Jewish believers are going to experience in Ephesus. Right? And, he, and he's recur, encouraging to believe that, that they have that new life. And then he's going to give them some very practical examples of how church members build up Christ's body and live out that new life. Believers are called to, to live out their lives as, as new creatures in Christ Jesus with a lifestyle that is, that is different than that of the world. And they're called out to live that is different from what we lived prior to our life in Christ. And Jesus saving us from that. And I love that, that Paul kind of dives in here. And the first thing he does is he, he affirms in a very solemn manner that, that the Gentile believers in Ephesus are a part of the new creation, right? He says, now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. Very solemnly saying, look, you have this salvation experience. You have this new creation being happened in you. And, and as part of that new creation, you no longer need to live as the Gentiles do, the, the, those who are unsaved around you. Paul describes the lost Gentiles as, as living with, with dark and dark and futile minds. Right? They, they are people who reject the knowledge of God and see themselves as wise or enlightened. I am above this God nonsense. And they're not ignorant because of their lack of education. Right? They're ignorant because they have hardened hearts towards the truth of the gospel. They're learned people as far as the world would see. They've become ignorant of the things of God because of the hardening of their heart. And it's in that hardening of the heart that they've become not just hardened hearts, but calloused. Oh, man. Calloused, toughened, almost impenetrable sometimes to the ways of Christ. And then in that callousness and in that hardness, they seek out all forms of impurity. But those who are in Christ did not learn that. Those who are in Christ have learned that we are to put off our old self. Folks, this is a lifelong process. It doesn't always happen overnight. We, we hear stories of, of folks who were saved, and then, then boom, their old self was gone. And that's awesome, and that's miraculous. But don't, don't forget that it's just as miraculous as, as it is somebody who, is, who has been saved of Christ, and they struggle, and they continue to repent over and over again. Salvation is always miraculous. Don't lose sight of that. And it's a lifelong process to grow in the Lord. I like how R.C. Sproul said it. He says, the closer we are to God, the more the slightest sin will cause us deep sorrow. The holier we get as we seek out to be like our God, the more we're going to see that our, our sins are greater. And even the little ones feel huge because we know how much that sin hurts our God. We keep working in conjunction with the Holy Spirit to put off that old self. God is who makes that old self gone a reality. It is God who is working in us to, to, to create the, the new creation in Christ. And we, are, we as people, we're in need of an inner transformation. 
because our hearts are deceitful above all things and they are desperately sick. And the prophet Jeremiah tells us that. That's kind of the negative side of our regeneration through Christ, right? That we have to, we have to put off things. We have to get rid of stuff. That's, that feels negative to don't do and get rid of. The positive side, though, is that we are being renewed, right? That renewal begins in the spirit of our minds. I love that Paul says it that way. We, we frequently hear people say, I love Jesus with all my heart. Good. That's great. You're supposed to love Jesus with all your heart. But you're also supposed to love Jesus with all your mind, with all your strength, with all your might, right? all of that. We see that over and over again in Deuteronomy, and, and then Jesus teaches us that in Matthew, and he teaches it again in, in Mark and in Luke. And if you look really closely at the Word and, and what the Word of God is calling us to, we're to love Jesus with everything we have, all that is within us. This, this renewal, this, this transformation of the mind is the process in which believers begin to think in a new and think in right ways as, as they meditate on the truths of the Word of God. That is, as Jesus is living in us and He's indwelling us and the Spirit is moving in us, our, our shift and our focus changes more towards godly things and away from worldly things. As we're being renewed and we're being transformed, we are to put on a new self. We have taken off the old self, gotten rid of it, and now we're putting on a new self. Some translations you might read may even say, you're putting on the new man, right? This is the beauty of what salvation is in our lives. This is the beauty of what regeneration is, is that believers are created anew in Christ Jesus, Believers are created after the likeness of God. Again, I, I said this earlier, but I mean it. This is just one of many, many reasons why every salvation story is miraculous. It doesn't matter if you were saved from the gutter of the streets or, or saved as a child in Sunday school. When Jesus saves you, it is a miracle and he makes you new. In verses 17 through 24, Paul's telling us about this new identity in Christ, right? He, he's telling us that we are to stop living like a pagan and live like the new creature that we have, we, we have, we're becoming, that we are. In verses 25 through 32 of the same passage, though, Paul gives us some practical ways in which we can begin that process, right? Now, we are working in conjunction with the Holy Spirit in this. It is the Holy Spirit who is moving in our lives to change us and to make us new. But we can't ignore the Holy Spirit. <laughs> we have some responsibility. Yes, He's going to be lifting the heavy load, but it's our job to follow along, right? Paul first gives us this reminder that not all anger is sin, but we are to be cautious to not be consumed by anger. Nor should any anger that you have be carried over into the next day. Holding on to that anger gives opportunity to the devil, he says. Paul then continues to use this illustration of the thief and how our, and, and how our repentance impacts how we live. Right? Repentance means that we stop doing the negative things and we start doing 
the positive things. The thief stops stealing and starts doing honest work. The idea here isn't that this is a, a thief of desperation. This isn't, this isn't somebody who's just choosing to be lazy and choosing to be greedy and choosing to be selfish. They're, they're late, this kind of stealing that Paul's describing comes from laziness and greed. So that when the thief repents, they must display the opposite of laziness and greed. He must display diligence in his work and the willingness to share. He continues on with this stopping and starting theme throughout the, this, but he says it in, in verse 29 concerning our speech. Followers of Christ are to stop all corrupting talk or evil and hurtful speech and must start speaking that which is good for the building up of others and, and for the giving of grace. The Greek word used for corrupting, I love this, it applies to, to rotten fruit, bad fruit, or, or putrid fish. That's the word corrupting here in the Greek. I think that's a great, great way that Paul's, very vivid as Paul is describing that. Hurtful, gossipy, evil speech has the air of spoiled fruit and putrid fish. But speech that gives grace benefits the hearer. Paul continues on to remind us that the Holy Spirit in our lives is our guarantee of being in Christ. And that guarantee, that, that certificate of, of, of payment is cashed in when Jesus returns and claims his church. Whew. I'm looking forward to that day. Paul commands us not to cause the Holy Spirit any sorrow. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit. Don't cause the Holy Spirit any sorrow with our sin. Live a life of repentance seeking God and living right through His Word, right? It's not that you're not going to sin. It's going to happen. But it's making sure that when you, when you realize that it has happened, that you, you repent of that. You take time to, to live a repentant life, to look at and ask God and ask the Holy Spirit, flush me clean of these things. Remind me to seek you above all else and nothing else. Then he tells us to put away all bitterness, all wrath, all anger, all clamor, all slander, and all malice. Bitterness may be at the beginning of this list because that's the sin that tends to lead to the other sins we see listed here. Bitterness comes from a heart that is, that is not right before God. Bitterness is a, is a characteristic of an unregenerate or an unsaved person. Bitterness causes destruction and defilement. Bitterness is incompatible with Christian character and must be put away. Instead of holding on to bitterness, we, we're called to be kind, we're called to be tender-hearted, we're called to be forgiving. These traits flow from constantly remembering that, that God first forgave us, and we are in a desperate need for His forgiveness daily. I said earlier as I kind of came up here that the passages like this are, are kind of easy to preach. They're a little bit easier to prep those sermons. They're, they're easier because we can see that direct application in life. So as we kind of look at this, we see, so, so what now, right? The application point should be fairly easy for us to all see. When we ask what now, we got to know what now. Well, first is this. You got to know Jesus. You got to know Jesus. 
if you don't know Jesus, you are not a part of the new creation that Paul has been writing about. And all of the other application points will make no eternal difference in your life. You must know Jesus. We know that we can know Jesus because we admit that we are sinful and rebellious people. We've rebelled against God. We've rebelled against His truth. And because of that, we deserve death and eternal separation from His favor. Even those of us who are in leadership in this church, we have to acknowledge that too. And we have to acknowledge it daily, regularly, that we know we are in need of a Savior. But God in His love for the people that He created designed a way for those of us who rebel, which is all of us, to become saints. Jesus, who is God in human flesh, God the Son, God who redeems us, came and lived among us. We're going to celebrate that soon. The incarnation, the coming of Jesus as the Christ child, and, and what He has done and how that works. We, we can't forget that that's an important part of, of who we are, that Jesus did all these things. And in His life here on earth, He fulfilled all the law of God that we cannot fulfill. Every part of all of those crazy things that we read in Deuteronomy and, and Leviticus and Numbers, He fulfilled all of that. He lived that sinless life for the purpose of being a perfect sacrifice that we need. Jesus has done for us what we could never do. In that, He rescues us. He takes our sin, He takes our shame, and he, he places them on the cross with His body. He willingly pays for our sin. He does that by sacrificing Himself for our sake. Jesus was then raised from death to provide the only way for us to be rescued and restored to right relationship with God. We were dead in our sins before Christ. He has made us alive in salvation. We just simply must admit our sinfulness and stop trusting in ourselves and in our power. That's our, just, just cry out to God in that, in that admission of that. Asking Jesus to forgive us. Asking Jesus to rescue us. And when we do this, Jesus brings a new life into us, and He begins the work of, of making us these new creatures, this new creation that, that Paul has been describing throughout chapter 4 here. God, through Jesus, renews all aspects of our lives, and only through Jesus can you truly know God. Only through Jesus can you experience the assurance of the Holy Spirit that Paul is, is describing here. I'm telling you, if you have not yet surrendered your life to Jesus Christ, I encourage you to do so today. Surrender yourself to Jesus and He'll make you new. If you know Christ and you're looking to continue to grow into your new creation, there are some steps you can take. Again, the Holy Spirit does all the heavy lifting and without Him you could not, would not, and will not change. It is through Him that He does it. He does the work, but you, as a follower of Christ, have a responsibility in that process to be obedient and to follow His lead. In this, Paul calls us to start and stop things. 
right? First one he says is we're to stop living like a pagan and we're to start living like a new creation. Well, how, how do we live like a new creation? Well, we replace lying with truth-telling. I almost said with truthiness, but that's, that's not quite the right way to say that. We replace lying with truth-telling. We replace unrighteousness or unrighteous anger with righteous anger. We replace stealing with work and generosity. We replace corrupt talk with edifying talk. And we replace bitterness and rage with kindness and forgiveness. Replace lying with truth-telling. The prophet Zechariah says, Speak truth to one another in in his, his book. And as Christians, we are all part of one another. It's been a part of what Chris was talking about the last two weeks, about being unified as a body. Knowing that, that what I do impacts what Emma does. What Emma does will impact what Stephen Sherrill do. What Stephen Sherrill do will impact what, what Virginia does. It, we're all impacting one another as a body of Christ here. As Christians, we are all part of one another. The words that you and I say affect the whole body. Falsehood kills unity. Falsehood kills unity. Truth grows unity. Scripture tells us that God hates lying. Proverbs 6, 16 through 17. Proverbs 12, 19. Proverbs 12, 22. Proverbs 20, 17. Proverbs 21, 6. That's just Proverbs telling us how much God hates lying. We learn in John 8, 44 that Satan is a liar. When you tell the truth, you are imitating God. When you lie, you imitate Satan. We replace lying with truth-telling to become more like Christ and to live in that new creation He is making us. Second, we we replace unrighteousness or unrighteous anger with righteous anger. When Paul's describing this, and he says, be angry and do not sin, do not let the sun go down on your anger, he's quoting from Psalm 4.4, which says, be angry and do not sin, ponder in your own hearts on your beds and be silent. See, Scripture gives us permission to have a type of anger that is not sinful. I'm still struggling with that. I'm not going to lie. But we have that permission. Sometimes you hear that referred to as righteous indignation. I grew up being told that, hearing that growing up in the church. Watch out. She's righteously indignant this morning. I knew that that wasn't really what people were meaning when I heard them say that. But I knew what they meant, right? There is a type of righteous indignation. True and righteous anger, or that true righteous indignation, is a holy anger against sin. When Jesus was angry, and he went through the temple, and he turned tables over, and he ran out the money chasers, he was angry at the sin those men were were, were living in. He was angry that the priests... And and the elders were allowing that kind of sin to happen in the place of worship. 
it is important for us to look around as, and see sinful things and see injustices and to be angry as Christians about sinfulness and injustice. If we are growing to be more like God and we are growing in His image and in His likeness, then we should hate sin like God hates sin. We should be grieved and angry over sin. First, the sin that is in our own lives, then in the sin of the lives of the ones we love, and then the sin that has corrupted the world. And here's the thing, anger at sin should motivate us to live more holy. Anger at sin should motivate us to seek God more. Anger at sin should motivate us to proclaim the truth of the gospel more and more and more and more. Because the gospel is the only way to escape from sin. Anger at sin should motivate us to seek forgiveness and reconciliation quickly. We'll say that again. Anger at sin should motivate us to seek forgiveness and reconciliation quickly. Because we have been forgiven much in our reconciliation. And we should remember that. And another reason why anger at sin should ask us to seek or should motivate us to seek forgiveness and reconciliation quickly is because Satan would like nothing more than to use your anger, my anger, as an opportunity to ruin your witness or my witness for Jesus Christ. So we need to replace unrighteous anger with a righteous anger towards sin. Next, we look at replacing stealing with work and generosity. Paul's reminding believers of the need of honest work. Nobody likes going to work, right? Like, I, I, There may be a handful of folks out there that really like waking up in the morning going, I'm going to work today, right? I like what I do. I love teaching. There, there's so many things about it that are fantastic, but there are days that I wake up and I'm like, I don't know that I can handle a classroom full of 24 eight-year-olds. I just, I just, today's not the day. I love those kids. They got cute little smiles, but not, whew, Jesus, help me get through it. But we forget that when, when God created the earth and he gave Adam work in the garden, he gave Adam that work in the garden before the fall. <coughs> that work came before Adam and Eve sinned. Work is not a bad thing. Sin has corrupted work and made it less than pleasant for a lot of us in some ways, or just bad days at work or whatever. But it was created by God for the benefit of man and for God's glory before the fall. John Wesley says this about work. He says, work as hard as you can, make as much as you can, then give as much as you can. John Piper, in his book, The Purpose of Prosperity, says there are, there are three options regarding work. You can steal to get, you can work to get for yourself, or you can work in order to give. When Paul is teaching here about this, this thief, right? 
Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Paul is teaching us that that third option, right, work in order to give is the one that as followers of Christ, as Christians, we should pursue. It's God's to begin with. If I really believe that my God is powerful enough to take care of all of my needs, then why not give generously? We're to replace stealing with work and generosity. And then we're to replace corrupt talk with edifying talk. Again, I love that Paul is using a word in the Greek that means that, that the same thing that he would use to describe spoiled fruit and rotten fish when he says corrupt. Because sinful speech is just that. It's spoiled, it's rotten, and it's disgusting. Corrupt talk does not nourish you. It makes you sick the same way that corrupt and spoiled fish would make you sick. Corrupt talk comes from a corrupt heart. It's not just cussing and swearing, right? It includes, but it's not limited to, lying, gossip, slander, unkind words, vulgar references, A Christ-like life involves a lot of encouragement to others. That's what we should be doing. We should be encouraging those around us and letting them hear the goodness of the Word of God and giving that goodness to them. Let us walk by the Spirit and let Him guide our conversations. Let Him guide our attitudes towards those conversations. Let us replace corrupt talk with edifying talk. And lastly, Paul says to to replace bitterness and rage with kindness and forgiveness. Man, we are called to put off these resentful attitudes, any kind of festering anger, abusive language, public outbursts and hostility. And that's tough sometimes. I know I've been guilty of those things in my own life. And I'm being called to to make sure I cast that off. But when I'm called to cast that off, I'm not just called to just cast it off and keep going. I'm called then to put on kindness and forgiveness. I like that he talks about it being put on and put off. That we should wear these things like clothes. We are to wear kindness like our favorite pair of jeans. And we're supposed to wear forgiveness like our most comfortable hoodie sweatshirt. And that's what what he's saying here, that that it's just part of who we are. We are recognized by that because it's what we have on all the time. When you think about this, if Jesus has forgiven you of all that you have done against him, is there any reason you should not forgive another person? I don't think so. When I look at what Jesus has done for me and how much he has forgiven me against everything I had done against him, there's nothing, nothing for which I should not forgive another person. We as followers of Christ are called to be a forgiving people. We are to think on his kindness. We are to think on his love. We are to, to think on his forgiveness daily. And then we are to live out his kindness, live out his love 
and live out his forgiveness as we interact with one another and as we interact with the rest of the world. This is the new life which Christ promises and calls his people to. Would you pray with me? Father, we just thank you so much for this time we've had to be in your word. We thank you for how your word speaks to us and how it's applicable to our daily lives. Father, I pray that as we go into this time of of invitation, this time of self-reflection, this time of call to action, that you would move in our hearts. You would convict us. You would challenge us. You would teach us to to live like a new creation, to replace lying with truth-telling, to replace unrighteous anger with righteous anger, to replace stealing with work and generosity, to replace corrupt talk with edifying talk, and to replace bitterness and rage with kindness and forgiveness. Father, move in us in this manner so that we can be a witness to your kingdom, sharing your gospel rightly with those who need to hear it in this community and others. It's in Jesus' precious and holy name I pray.